Chapter 4 of The Graveyard Book by Neil Gaiman. And you'll have to pardon me, I'm fighting a cold, so <clears throat> I might have to pause and take a drink every once in a while. Chapter 4. There was a witch buried at the edge of the graveyard. It was common knowledge. Bob had been told to keep away from that corner of the world by Mrs. Owens as far as back as he could remember. Why? he asked. "'Tain't healthy for a living body,' said Mrs. Owens. "'There's damp down there at the end of things. "'It's practically a marsh. "'You'll catch your death.' "'Mr. Owens himself was more evasive and less imaginative. "'It's not a good place,' was all he said. "'The graveyard proper ended at the bottom of the west side of the hill, "'beneath the old apple tree with a fence of rust-brown iron railings, "'each topped with a small, rusting spearhead.' But there was a wasteland beyond that, a mass of nettles and weeds, of brambles and autumnal rubbish, and Bod, who was on the whole obedient, did not push between the railings, but he went down there and looked through. He knew he wasn't being told the whole story, and it irritated him. Bod went back up the hill to the little chapel near the entrance to the graveyard, and he waited until it got dark. As twilight edged from gray to purple, there was a noise in the spire like a fluttering of heavy velvet, and Silas left his resting place in the belfry and clambered headfirst down the spire. "'What's in the far corner of the graveyard?' asked Bod. "'Past Harrison Westwood, baker of this parish, and, and his wives, Marion and Joanne.' "'Why do you ask?' said his guardian, brushing the dust from his black suit with ivory fingers. Bod shrugged. "'Just wondered.' It's, it's unconsecrated ground, said Silas. Do you know what that means? Not really, said Bod. Silas walked across the path without disturbing a fallen leaf and sat down on the bench beside Bod. There are those, he said in his silken voice, who believe that all land is sacred, that it is sacred before we come to it and sacred after. But here in your land... They bless the churches and the ground they set aside to bury people in, to make it holy. But they left land unconsecrated, beside the sacred ground. Potter's fields to bury the criminals and the suicides, or those who were not yet of the faith. So the people buried in the ground on the other side of the fence are bad people? Silas raised one perfect eyebrow. Hmm? Oh, not at all. Let's see, It's it's been a while since I've been down that way, but... I don't remember anyone particularly evil. Remember in days gone by, you could be hanged for stealing a shilling. And there are always people who find their lives have become so unsupportable they believe the best thing they could do would be to hasten their transition into another plane of existence. They kill themselves, you mean? said Bod. He was about eight years old, wide-eyed and inquisitive. He was not stupid. Indeed. Does it work? Are they happier dead? Sometimes. Mostly, no. It's like the people who believe they'll be happy if they go and live somewhere else, but who learned it doesn't work that way. Wherever you go, you take yourself with you, if you see what I mean. Sort of, said Bod. Silas reached down and ruffled the boy's hair. Bod said, What about the witch? Yes, exactly, said Silas. Suicides, criminals, and witches. Those who died unshriven. He stood up a midnight shadow in the twilight. All this talking, he said, and I have not even had my breakfast, while you will be late for lessons. In the twilight of the graveyard there was a silent implosion, a flutter of velvet darkness, and Silas was gone. The moon had begun to rise by the time Bod reached Mr. Pennyworth's mausoleum, 
And Thomas Pennyworth, here he lies in the certainty of the most glorious resurrection, was already waiting and was not in the best of moods. "'You are late,' he said. "'Sorry, Mr. Pennyworth.' Pennyworth tutted. The previous week Mr. Pennyworth had been teaching Bod about elements and humors, and Bod had kept forgetting which was which. He was expecting a test, but instead Mr. Pennyworth said, "'I think it is time to spend a few days on practical matters. Time is passing, after all.' "'Is it?' asked Bod. "'I am afraid so, young Master Owens. Now, how is your fading?' Bod had hoped he would not be asked that question. "'It's all right,' he said. "'I mean, you know.' "'No, Master Owens, I do not know. "'Why do you not demonstrate for me?' Bod's heart sank. He took a deep breath and did his best, squinching up his eyes and trying to fade away. Mr. Pennyworth was not impressed. "'Pah! That's not the kind of thing. Not the kind of thing at all!' "'Slipping and fading, boy, the way of the dead, slip through shadows, fade from awareness. "'Try again.' Bod tried harder. "'You're as plain as the nose on your face,' said Mr. Pennyworth. "'And your nose is remarkably obvious. "'As is the rest of your face, young man, as are you. "'For the sake of all that is wholly empty, your mind, now. "'You are on an empty alleyway. "'You are a vacant doorway. "'You are nothing.' Eyes will not see you. Minds will not hold you. Where you are is nothing and nobody. Bod tried again. He closed his eyes and imagined himself fading into the stained stonework of the mausoleum wall, becoming a shadow on the night and nothing more. He sneezed. Dreadful, said Mr. Pennyworth with a sigh. Quite dreadful. I believe I shall have a word with your guardian about this, he shook his head. So... The humors. List them. Um, sanguine, choleric, uh, phlegmatic, and the other one, um, melancholic, I think? And so it went until it was time for grammar and composition with Miss Letitia Barrows, spinster of this parish, who did no harm to no man all the days of her life. Reader, can you say likewise? Bod liked Miss Barrows and the coziness of her little crypt that she could all too easily be let off the subject. They say there's a witch in un, uh, unconsecrated ground, he said. Yes, dear, but you don't want to go over there. Why not? Miss Barrow smiled the guileless smile of the dead. They aren't our sort of people, she said. But it is the graveyard, isn't it? I mean, I- I'm allowed to go there if I want to. That, said Miss Barrows, would not be advisable. Bod was obedient, but curious, and so, when lessons were done for the night, he walked past Harrison Westwood Baker and Family's Memorial, a broken-armed angel, but did not climb down the hill to the potter's field. Instead, he walked up the side of the hill to where a picnic some thirty years before had left its mark in the shape of a large apple tree. There were some lessons that Bod had mastered. He had eaten a belly full of unripe apples, sour and white piped, piped from the tree, some years before, and had regretted it for days, his guts cramping and painful while Mrs. Owens lectured him on what not to eat. Now he always waited until the apples were ripe before eating them, and never ate more than two or three a night. He had finished the last of the apples the week before, but he liked the apple tree as a place to think. He edged up the trunk to his favorite place in the crook of two branches and looked down at the potter's field below him, a brambly patch of weeds and unmown grass in the moonlight. 
He wondered whether the witch would be old and iron-toothed and travel in a house on chicken legs, or whether she would be thin and sharp-nosed and carry a broomstick. Bod's stomach growled, and he realized that he was getting hungry. He wished he had not devoured all the apples on the tree, that he had just left one. He glanced up, and he thought he saw something. He looked once, looked twice to be certain. An apple, red and ripe. Bod prided himself on his tree-climbing skills. He swung himself up branch by branch and imagined he was Silas, swarming smoothly up a sheer brick wall. The apple, the red of it, almost black in the moonlight, hung just out of reach. Bod moved slowly forward along the branch until he was just below the apple. Then he stretched up and the tips of his fingers touched the perfect apple. He was never to taste it. A snap loud as a hunter's gun as the branch gave way beneath him. A flash of pain awoke him, sharp as ice, the color of slow thunder down in the weeds that summer's night. The ground beneath him seemed relatively soft and oddly warm. He pushed a hand down and felt something like warm fur beneath him. He had landed on the grass pile where the graveyard's groundkeeper threw the cuttings from the mower, and it had broken his fall. Still, there was a pain in his chest, and his leg hurt as if he had landed on it first and twisted it. Bod moaned. "'Hush a you, hush a boy!' said a voice from behind him. "'Where'd you come from, dropping like a thunderstone? What way is that to carry on?' "'I was in the apple tree,' said Bod. "'Ah, let me see your leg. Broken like the tree's limb, I'll be bound.' Cool fingers prodded his left leg. "'Not broken. Twisted, yes, sprained, perhaps. "'You have the devil's own luck, boy, following into the compost. "'Taint the end of the world.' "'Oh, good,' said Bod. "'It hurts, though.' He turned his head, looked up, and behind him. She was older than him, but not a grown-up, and she looked neither friendly nor unfriendly. Wary, mostly. She had a face that was intelligent and not even a little bit beautiful. Oh, and even a little bit beautiful. I'm Bod, he said. The live boy, she asked. Bod nodded. I thought you must be, she said. We've heard of you, even over here in the potter's field. What do they call you? Owens, he said. Nobody Owens, Bod for short. How do you do, young Master Bod? Bod looked her up and down. She wore a plain white shift, her hair was mousy and long, and there was something of the goblin in her face, a sideways hint of a smile that seemed to linger, no matter what the rest of her face was doing. Were you a suicide? he asked. Did you steal a shilling? Never stole nothing, she said. Not even a handkerchief. Anyway, she said pertly. The Seward's eyes are all over there, on the other side of that hawthorn, and the gallow birds are in the blackberry patch, both of them. One was a coiner, t'other a highwayman, or so he says, although if you ask me, I doubt he was more than a common footpad and nightwalker. Ah, said Bod. Then, suspicion forming, tentatively, he said, They say a witch is buried here. She nodded. Drowned and burned and buried here, without as much as a stone to mark the spot. You were drowned... And burned? She settled down on the hill of grass cuttings beside him and held his throbbing leg with her chilly hands. They come to my little cottage at dawn before I'm proper awake and drags me out onto the green. You're a witch, they shouts, fat and fresh scrubbed all pink in the morning, like so many pigwigans scrubbed clean for market day. One by one they gets up beneath the sky and tells of milk gone sour and horses gone lame. And finally, 
Mistress Jemima gets up, the fattest, pinkest, best scrubbed of them all, and tells how as Solomon Porritt now cuts her dead and instead hangs upon the swall house like a wasp around a honeypot. And it's all my magic, says she. That made him so, and, and the poor young man must be bespelled. So they strap me to the cucking stool and forces it under the water of the duck pond, saying if I'm a witch I'll neither drown nor care, but if I'm not a witch I'll feel it. And Mistress Jemima's father gave them each a silver groat to hold the stool down under the foul green water for a long time to see if I'd choke on it. And did you? Oh, yes. Got a lungful. It done for me. Oh, said Bod. Then you weren't a witch after all. The girl fixed him with her beady ghost eyes and smiled a lopsided smile. She still looked like a goblin, but now she looked like a... Like a pretty goblin, and Bod didn't think she would have needed magic to attract Solomon Porritt, not with a smile like that. What nonsense! <laughs> of course I was a witch. They learned that they they learned when they untied me from the cucking stool and stretched me on the green, nine parts dead and all covered with duckweed and stinking pondbuck. I rolled my eyes back in my head, and I cursed each and every one of them there on the village green that morning, that none of them would ever rest easily in a grave. I was surprised at how easily it came. The cursing, like dancing it was, when your feet pick up the steps of a new measure your ears have ever heard, or your head don't know, and they dance it till dawn. She stood and twirled and kicked, and her bare feet flashed in the moonlight. That was how I cursed them, with my last gurgling, pond-watery breath. <laughs> and then I expired. They burnt my body on the green, till I was nothing but black and charcoal, and they popped me in a hole in the potter's field without so much as a headstone to mark me name. It was only then that she paused and seemed for a moment wistful. "'Are any of them buried in the graveyard, then?' asked Bod. "'Not a one,' said the girl with a twinkle. "'The Saturday after they drowned and toasted me, "'a carpet was delivered to Master Porringer all the way from London down, "'and it was a fine, fine carpet. "'But it turned out there was more in that carpet than strong wool and good weaving, "'for it carried the plague in its pattern. "'And by Monday, five of them were coughing blood.' and their skins were gone as black as mine when they hauled me from the fire. <laughs> a week later, and it had taken most of the village, and they threw the bodies all promiscuous in a plague pit they dug outside of the town that they filled in after. Was everyone in the village killed? She shrugged. Everyone who watched me drowned and burned. How's your leg now? A better, he said. Um, thanks. Bod stood up slowly and limped down from the grass pile. He leaned against the iron railings. "'So you were always a witch?' he asked. "'I mean, before you cursed them all?' "'As if it would take witchcraft,' she said with a sniff, "'to get Solomon Porridge mooning round my cottage.' "'Which Bod thought, but did not say, "'was not actually an answer to the question. "'Not at all. "'What's your name?' he asked. "'Got no headstone,' she said, "'turning down the corners of her mouth. "'Might be anybody, mightn't I? "'But you must have a name. "'Liza Hempstock, if you please,' she said tartly. Then she said, "'It's not much to ask, is it? Something to mark my grave? I'm just down there, see, with nothing but nettles to show where I rest.' And she looked so sad just for a moment that Bod wanted to hug her. And then it came to him, as he squeezed between the railings of the fence. He would find Liza Hempstock a headstone with her name upon it. He would make her smile. He turned to wave goodbye as he began to clamber up the hill, but she was already gone.' There were broken lumps of other people's stones and statues in the graveyard, but Bod knew that would have been entirely the wrong sort of thing to bring to the grey-eyed witch in the potter's field. It was going to take more than that. 
He decided not to tell anyone what he was planning, on the, on the entire unreasonable basis that they would have told him not to do it. Over the next few days, his mind filled with plans, each more complicated and extravagant than the last, Mr. Pennyworth despaired. "'I do believe,' he announced, scratching his dusty moustache, "'that you are getting, if anything, worse. "'You are not fading. You are obvious, boy. "'You are difficult to miss.' If you came to me in company with a purple lion, a green elephant, and a scarlet unicorn astride, which was the king of England in his royal robes, I do believe that it is you, and you alone, that people would stare at, dismissing the others as minor irrelevances. Bod simply stared at him, and said nothing. He was wondering whether there were special shops in the places where the living people gathered that, soul, gathered that sold only headstones, and if so, how could he go about finding one, and fading was the least of his problems. He took advantage of Miss Barrow's willingness to be diverted from the subject of grammar and composition to the subject of anything else at all to ask her about money, how exactly it worked, how, how one used to get things one wanted. Bod had a number of coins he had found over the years. He had learned that the best place to find money was to go afterwards to wherever courting couples had used the grass of the graveyard as a place to cuddle and snuggle and kiss and roll about. He would often find metal coins on the ground in the places where they had been, and he thought perhaps he could finally get some use from them. "'How much would a headstone be?' he asked Miss Barrows. "'In my time,' she told him, "'they were fifteen guineas.' I do not know whether they would be today. More, I imagine. Much, much more. Bod had two pounds and fifty-three pence. It would, he was quite certain, not be enough. It had been four years, almost half a lifetime, since Bod had visited the indigo man's tomb, but he still remembered the way. He climbed to the top of the hill until he was above the whole town, above even the top of the apple tree, above even the steeple of the little chapel, up where the Frobisher mausoleum stood like a rotten tooth. He slipped down into it, behind the coffin, and down and down, and still further down, down to the tiny stone steps cut into the center of the hill, and those he descended until he reached the stone chamber. It was dark in that tomb, dark as a tin mine, but Bod saw as the Dead Sea, and the room gave up its secrets to him. The sleer was coiled around the wall of the barrow. He could feel it. It was, it was as he remembered it, an invisible thing, all smoky tendrils and hate and greed. This time, however, he was not afraid of it. "'Fear us,' whispered the sleer, "'for we guard things precious and never lost.' "'I don't fear you,' said Bod. "'Remember? And I need to take something away from here.' "'Nothing ever leaves,' came the reply from the coiled thing in the darkness. "'The knife.' The brooch, the goblet, the sleer guards them in the darkness. We wait. Pardon me for asking, said Bod, but was this your grave? Master sets us here on the plain to guard, buries our skulls beneath this stone, leaves us here knowing what we have to do. We guard the treasures until Master comes back. I expect that he's forgotten all about you, pointed out Bod. I I'm sure he's been dead himself for ages. We are the sleer. We guard. Bod wondered just how long ago you had to go back before the deepest tomb inside the hill was on a plane, and he knew it must have been an extremely long time ago. He could feel the sleer winding its waves of fear around him like the tendrils of some carnivorous plant. He was beginning to feel cold and slow, as if he had bitten in the heart by some arctic viper, and it was starting to pump its ven icy venom through his body. He took a step forward as so he was standing against the stone slab, 
and he reached down and closed his fingers around the coldness of the brooch. "'Hush!' whispered the sleer. "'We guard that for the master!' "'He won't mind,' said Bod. He took a step backward, walking toward the stone steps, avoiding the desiccated remains of people and animals on the floor. The sleer writhed angrily, twining around the tiny chamber like ghost smoke. Then it slowed. "'It comes back,' said the sleer in its tangled triple voice. "'It always comes back.' Bod went up the stone steps inside the hill as fast as he could. At one point he imagined that there was something coming after him, but when he broke out of the top into the Frobisher mausoleum and he could breathe the cool dawn air, nothing moved or followed. Bod sat in the open air on the top of the hill and held the brooch. He thought it was all black at first, but then the sun rose and he could see that the stone in the center of the black metal was a swirling red. It was the size of a robin's egg and Bod stared into the stone, wondering if there were things moving in its heart, his eyes and soul deep in the crimson world. If Bod had been smaller, he would have wanted to put into his mouth. The stone was held in, a, in place by a black metal clasp, by something that looks like claws, with something else crawling around it. The something else looked almost snake-like, but it had too many heads. Bod wondered if that was what the sleer looked like in the daylight. He wandered down the hill, taking all the shortcuts he knew, through the ivy tangle that covered the Bartleby family vault, and inside the sound of the Bartlebys grumbling and readying for sleep, and on and over through the railings and into the potter's field. He called, Liza! Liza! and looked around. Good morrow, young lummox, said Liza's voice. Bod could not see her, but there was an extra shadow beneath the hawthorn tree, and as he approached it, the shadow resolved itself into something pearlescent and translucent in the early morning light. Something girl-like, something grey-eyed. "'I should be decently sleeping,' she said. "'What kind of carrying on is this?' "'Your headstone,' he said. "'I wanted to know what you want on it.' "'My name,' she said. "'It must have my name on it, with a big E for Elizabeth, "'like the old queen that died when I was born, and a big H for Hemstock. "'More than that I care not, for I did not master my letters.' "'What about dates?' asked Bod. "'William the Conqueror, 1066,' she sang in the whisper of the dawn wind in the hawthorn tree. tree. "'A big E, if you please, and a big H. "'Did you have a job?' asked Bod. "'I mean, when, when you weren't being a witch.' "'I done laundry,' said the dead girl. "'And then the morning sunlight flooded the wasteland, and Bod was alone. "'It was nine in the morning when all the world is sleeping, "'but Bod was determined to stay awake. "'He was, after all, on a mission.' He was eight years old, and the world beyond the graveyard held no terrors for him. Clothes. He would need clothes. His usual dress of a grey winding sheet was, he knew, quite wrong. It was good in the graveyard, the same colour as stone and as shadows, but if he was going to dare the world beyond the graveyard walls, he would, he would need to blend in there. There were some clothes in the crypt beneath the ruined church, but Bod did not want to go down to the crypt, not even in daylight. While Bod was preparing to justify himself to Master and Mistress Owens, he was not about to explain himself to Silas. The very thought of those dark eyes, angry, or worse still, disappointed, filled him with shame. There was a gardener's hut at the far end of the graveyard, a small green building that smelled like motor oil, and in which the old mower sat and rested, unused, along with an assortment of ancient gardening tools. The hut had been abandoned when the last gardener had retired, before Bod was born, and the task of keeping the graveyard had been shared between the council, who sent in a man to cut the grass and clean the paths once a month from April to September, and the local volunteers and the friends of the graveyard. 
A huge padlock on the door protected the contents of the hut, but Bod had long ago discovered the loose wooden board in the back. Sometimes he would go to the gardener's hut and sit and think when he wanted to be by himself. As long as he had been going to the hut, there had been a brown working man's jacket hanging on the back of the door, forgotten or abandoned years before, along with a green-stained pair of gardening jeans. The jeans were much too big for him, but he rolled up the cuffs until his feet showed. Then he made a belt out of brown garden twine and tied it around his waist. There were boots in one corner, and he tried putting them on, but they were so big and encrusted with mud and concrete that he could barely shuffle in them and if he took a step, the boots remained on the floor of the shed. He pushed the jacket out through the space in the loose board, squeezed himself out, then put it on. If he rolled up the sleeves, he decided it worked quite well. It had big pockets, and he thrust his hands into them and felt quite dandy. Bod walked down to the main gate of the graveyard and looked out through the bars. A bus rattled past in the street. There were cars there and noise and shops. Behind him, a cool green shade, overgrown with trees and ivy. Home. His heart pounding, Bod walked out into the world.